What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Elvira Nunez on today's episode. I'm so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like. Okay. Well, thank you, Shelly. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, I'm not going to hide the ball. I have had two miscarriages in the past seven months um, after almost two years of what the doctors have called, quote unquote, unexplained infertility, which is the most frustrating diagnosis ever. Um, but this experience has kind of made me want to open up and be an advocate for others. So I thought that this would be the perfect platform to start doing that. Um, so I think I'm going to start a little bit differently than how, um, most other people have started. Um, I'm going to go way back because I think this is relevant to the story. Um, I started taking birth control when I was 16 years old. Um, I had terrible, terrible periods. My cramps were horrible. I would be able to school, go to school. I would lay in bed all day. Um, so I went on birth control at 16 and was on it then for the next 12 years. Um, nobody ever ran any tests to see what the reason, reason was behind those terrible cramps and terrible periods. It was kind of just like, yep, birth control will solve it. So just, just go on this. Um, at that same time, um, my sister had passed away the year before, and my parents had started fostering um, children at that time, and it made me passionate about fostering and adoption, and it was just me and my sister, so it also made me passionate about wanting a big family. Um, so I guess fast forward um, to 2014, um, I was in law school at the time. And, um, my roommate came home one day and was like, my TA, my my teaching assistant for my writing class is super cute. And so obviously we stalked him on Facebook (laughs) and, um, it turned out that that was Carson, who is my now husband. Um, we kind of had this instant connection, um, from the moment we met, met each other, we spent, you know, every single second together, um, and we talked about from one of our very first dates, uh, the fact that we both wanted to, um, adopt and have our own biological children. Um, and so we got engaged after about a year of dating and then got married a year and a half after that in 2017. Um, I've always had this fear, like that I would have issues getting pregnant. Um, besides having the bad periods, there wasn't really any indication that that would be an issue. Um, my mom didn't really have any issues getting pregnant, not that it's genetic or hereditary, but you know, I thought I've never really had any issues besides having bad cramps when I was 16. So, you know, this should be fine. Although I just had this underlying fear. Um, so because of that, um, I wanted to start trying a couple of months after we got married. Um, so we started trying in January of 2018. Um, Carson, bless his heart, thought it would be the easiest thing ever. He was like, yeah, we'll be pregnant in no time. You know, it's not going to be an issue. 
Um, so I went off of birth control in January of 2018. Um, and at that point, my periods became like literally non-existent. Um, TMI, but I didn't even have to wear a tampon or anything. Um, but still the doctor said, no, that's normal. It's, it's not an issue. You're getting a period. So that's, that's fine. Um, 2018 was a really difficult year. Um, you know, we had started trying without any success. Um, I had moved to Charlotte about a year, Charlotte, North Carolina, about a year earlier, um, and was still having trouble kind of finding my spot here. I'd also started a new job that was very demanding and stressful the year before. So 2018 was just kind of a, a crappy year all around. Um, I struggled with depression. And so um, Carson had recommended, you know, I, that I start therapy. And I was always like, no, that's, I don't need that. That's not for me. And so I started taking uh, medication for depression and anxiety in January of 2019. Um, at around that same time, you know, it had been a year since we had started trying with no success. And of course, I'm sure many of you know that most doctors make you wait a year before they'll do any testing to see why you're not getting pregnant, which is the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, so we saw a reproductive endocrinologist in March of 2019. Um, at that time, all of my tests came back, you know, quote unquote, normal. And we got our diagnosis of unexplained infertility. Um, the RE also had no concerns over the fact that I had light periods, even though it was an issue for me. It would bother me literally every single month because it felt like there was something wrong. But he was not concerned. And so, you know, because of our test results, he said, let's move forward with a, an IUI, an intrauterine insemination. And so we did that at the beginning of April 2019. And uh, our doctor at that time had all the confidence in the world that, you know, that it would be a successful cycle. And um, it was. <laughs> Two weeks after the IUI, we took the pregnant, uh, I took a pregnancy test and um, it was the first time I had seen a positive pregnancy test. And I literally could not believe it. Like I started shaking and I started crying immediately. And it was just, I mean, the, one of the happiest moments of my entire life. Um, and, you know, we told our parents right away because um, we were so excited. We told some friends um, and we had an ultrasound scheduled for a couple weeks after that. Um, my RE likes to do an early ultrasound um, to, check, to check viability. And so we went when I would have been about seven weeks. And the first thing that we saw on the ultrasound when we went in there was two gestational sacs. And so we were like, oh my gosh, we're having twins. <laughs> like This is crazy. Um, but our doctor was kind of, he was more hesitant. And he said that the twins did not look to be where they should be at that point. And so we scheduled an ultrasound for the following week and he was kind of like, he, what he said not to lose all hope at that point, but he wasn't super optimistic. And so then literally the longest week of my life started that day. Uh, that was May 8th. I'll never forget that day. Um, I called out of work at that point. I just could not fathom having to go into my office and sit there and pretend that I was okay every single day. And like, I wasn't, so stressed out and so anxious about what was happening with my body and with my babies. We went back the next week. And at that point, our doctor said, you know, 
it, it doesn't look good. I don't think that this is a viable pregnancy. Again, I hate that term um, because these are, you know, my children. Um, and he gave me at that point three options, um, which I'm sure most people listening to this are familiar with. Um, I could wait it out and see if it would happen naturally. Um, I could have a DNC or I could take medication. And so we left the doctor's office that day. And of course I turned to Dr. Google and read everybody's stories online and, you know, heard horror stories about taking medication. Um, and because my body just did not seem to recognize that this pregnancy wouldn't progress. Um, I didn't feel comfortable just waiting for that to happen naturally. So we decided to move forward with the DNC. Um, and that was a really difficult decision for me. I have, I've never had surgery besides, you know, getting my wisdom teeth out when I was like 18 or 19 years old. And so it was a really scary decision for me. I hate needles. So the thought of having an IV just was terrifying. Um, although I will say, over this process, I have gotten over my fear of needles because I've gotten my blood drawn probably 50 times this year. So, um, but so I went in and had my DNC and again, I mean, I think women's suffering gets downplayed a lot during this process. And my doctor said, you know, you'll be fine. You can go back to work in a day or two. And of course the recovery was not that easy, both mentally, physically, emotionally, I remember a couple of days after I had the DNC, I went to Target to try to get out of the house and walk around, and I was in so much pain. Um, I can't imagine having gone back to work at that point. Um, so I didn't, and I became more and more depressed. I mentioned earlier, you know, that I had already been struggling with depression and anxiety, and this just kind of made it worse. Um, so I took an extended leave of absence, um, from work at that point. I decided I, I just needed some time to try to recuperate physically, mentally, you know, try to get back on my feet because I was really, re really struggling. Um, at that point, even though I'd always been against therapy for myself, um, I decided to go and my husband literally was like, this is the best decision you've ever made. And it, it truly was like, it was an eye opening experience. I have a lot of close girlfriends that I can call and vent to, but it was just different having kind of like an, an objective third party to talk to about all of these issues and who kind of understood what I was going through. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but we are sponsored by My Vitro. After three miscarriages and two rounds of IVF, Danielle Hall started My Vitro to help other women struggling with infertility. Frustrated with the options available to store her expensive fertility medications, she created the Fertility Caddy to organize all of the needles, vials, injectable pens, and supplies that are necessary for a treatment cycle. Feel prepared and ready to take control when that giant box of drugs shows up on your doorstep. Use code LAM, L-A-M, for 10% off of your order at myvitro.com. And as always, thank you for supporting the sponsors who are supporting our show. Now let's get back to it. The DNC was in May of this year, um, and I did not get my period um, for several months, or for a couple of months, I guess. Um, and so my RE put me on um, a medication to kind of force my period to come. Um, and so that my period finally came um, early August of 2019. 
Um, and we decided to move forward at that point with our second IUI. Um, I'm not sure at that point why we decided to move forward with it because I still, you know, was going through the effects of that first pregnancy, but we wanted a baby. So we were like, all right, let's move forward. And it was one of the most triggering experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, everything was at the same facility. So going into the, the doctor's office, um, for that second IUI, all I could think of was everything that had happened that first go around. Um, so we waited the two weeks that you're supposed to wait again, two of the longest weeks of my life. And we had a wedding that weekend and we had some friends coming into town. And so I wanted to test a little bit early to see, um, if I was pregnant so that I wouldn't be stressed out about it the whole weekend. And I did that and we got like a faint positive and I was like, great, <laughs> what, what does this mean? Is this positive or is it not positive? And so we waited until the next day and I took a digital test and it said I was pregnant. And for some reason I was like, I'm not going to get my hopes up. This seems a little bit weird. And sure enough, I took a pregnancy test, test the next day and it was negative. Um, at that point I kind of thought, well, maybe it was a false positive and I just never told my doctor about it or anything. Um, I kind of just let it go. And at that point we, my husband and I decided, um, we should stop trying for a while. This has taken a toll both on my, you know, physical and mental health. And it just wasn't, it wasn't the right time for me or for us. Um, and around that same time, this was the end of August of this year. I realized that that job that I had that was really stressful and caused me a lot of anxiety um, was not was not helping the situation at all. And so I quit that job at the end of August as well. Um, and at that point, um, kind of had no idea where I wanted to go from there. And so um, after a lot of talks with my husband and with my therapist, um, I decided that I wanted to do yoga teacher training and kind of focus on that, stop being a lawyer completely. Um, my husband and I talked about and made plans to move to Denver. We had gone for the first time earlier in the year and just completely loved it and thought, you know, this would be great. We'll be super outdoorsy. We'll go for hikes with our two dogs and it'll be amazing. Um, so we stopped trying in September, um, sold our house. I mentioned I quit my job. And I signed up for the yoga teacher training. And then at the beginning of October, my period was late. And I was like, this is, this is kind of weird. But, you know, I'd only really had one normal period um, after my miscarriage, like one, one period that wasn't brought on by medication. Um, but I decided to take a pregnancy test and lo and behold, for the first time in almost two years, I had gotten pregnant naturally. And of course I was so mad because everybody during that time period had been like, don't stress, it'll happen. Once you stop thinking about it, it'll happen. And I, every time somebody said that to me, I wanted to be like, please stop talking. <laughs> um, it's not as easy thing to just not stress, but I did, I got pregnant naturally that month. Um, and I felt weirdly optimistic, uh, after everything that we had been through, I was like, this is it, you know, it surely it's not going to happen again. Like that's just impossible. We can't catch that sort of bad luck twice in a row. Um, and my husband on the other hand was, um, not as optimistic. He 
was worried about getting his hopes up. But we went for our first ultrasound at about seven weeks and there was a heartbeat and it was just incredible. Like I, I literally could not believe it. I think both of our jaws just dropped at seeing a heartbeat for the first time. Um, the baby was measuring a little bit behind, but nothing concerning. And so the, our doctor scheduled us for a follow-up ultrasound the following week. And my husband, Carson was like, Oh, you know, it's really frustrating that he's doing this. And I just saw it as another opportunity to see our baby. So I was really excited. Um, so we went in the following week for an ultrasound and, um, there was no heartbeat at that point. And it literally felt like my world just crumbled around me. Like I couldn't even fathom, like I couldn't even understand what the doctor was saying. It just seemed unbelievable. Like how could this happen again? And um, at that point, you know, the first time I'd wanted to wait and double check and triple check. And this time I just, I wanted to get it over with as quickly as possible. I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't go through that or face going through that again. Um, but I also didn't want to have another DNC. The thought of having another surgery was really scary. So, um, at that point, my doctor recommended what he calls the quote unquote abortion pill. Um, I think it's a little bit different than just taking, I think it's Cytotec or misoprostol. Um, this is like two pills that you take and it's super, super regulated. Um, and so my doctor couldn't prescribe it to me. Um, and so that started this like journey of me making appointments at abortion clinics, trying to get this pill. And every time I would call an abortion clinic, you know, they would have to give me this long, like, um, disclosure basically. And like, make me agree that I was terminating my pregnancy. And it was so traumatizing, you know, I'm all for women's reproductive rights, um, and pro-choice, but like, this wasn't a choice that I was making willingly. Um, this was something that I had to do because my, my baby wasn't alive anymore. Um, Finally, I was able to get in touch with my gynecologist, not my reproductive and endocrinologist, and my gynecologist was able to prescribe it. The first pill, like, you have to take in the doctor's office, and so I did that, and my gynecologist had had a first trimester miscarriage and had chosen to take medication for it, and so she kind of warned me. She reiterated everything that I had heard from the horror stories um, online that she was like, you're going to bleed a lot. It's going to get to the point where you're going to wonder if you should go to the hospital. She said, you know, I'm a doctor. And I even thought like, is this a normal amount to be bleeding? And so of course I was freaking out. Um, but all she prescribed me was 800 milligrams of ibuprofen to take during that process and was like, all right, well, good luck. Let me know if you, if anything comes up or, you know, if there's an emergency. And so luckily my very sweet mother-in-law gave me some pain medication that she had. And I took that when I took the second pill, um, Cytotec. Um, and it was a, um, a very, very painful experience. It wasn't as traumatizing as I thought it was going to be. Um, I didn't have any sort of excessive bleeding. I really didn't have very much bleeding at all. Um, it was very, very painful. Uh, the most painful thing I've ever gone through. Um, of course the one traumatizing part was when I felt 
my baby come out of me. Um, and I was just so out of it because my husband had been really diligent about making sure I was taking my pain medication, nausea medication and everything. And I just held my baby in, in my hands for like five minutes and just stared at it. Like, and it was the weirdest experience. And like a few weeks afterwards, I'd had another friend who had had a miscarriage and I confided that in her that I had picked it up and like held it. And I was like, is that weird? And she was like, no, I did the same thing. So that made me feel a little bit better. Um, at that point, we did genetic testing on our baby and my husband and I did blood tests. Um, and it turns out that the baby was, as the doctor said, a genetically normal female. And at that point, it was like reality sunk in because I, I didn't know the genders of the first of our first pregnancy. And so knowing that we had, we had had this baby girl and there wasn't really any reason that anybody could point to that, you know, we lost her. It was just horrifying. And I sunk deeper and deeper into depression and just, it was, you know, this wasn't even that long ago and it was just really, really difficult for me. Um, but at that point, my reproductive endocrinologist made a game plan. Um, when my period came back, I was going to have a saline sonogram, which I just had last week. Um, my period came back after five weeks. Um, he thought at the, our last ultrasound when we saw no heartbeat with this latest pregnancy that he saw some scar tissue, but he wasn't hundred percent sure. And so with the saline sonogram, um, to see that there was something there. He's not sure if it's scar tissue or if it's a, what I now know to be called a septate uterus where like your uterus doesn't form correctly, but there's something going on there. And of course it was the most stressful thing because it most stressful and most frustrating because I'd had this issue with my period, not really, you know, coming each month. It, it, it was cyclical, but it was, I wasn't really bleeding. And then, you know, with the miscarriage, I didn't really bleed either, which was weird. And so I knew that something was up and that I, now I know that this might be the cause. Um, so I have surgery scheduled for December 31st, which is just a great and exciting way to ring in the new year. Um, but I'm excited and happy that we're, you know, moving forward and that we might have a possible reason for, um, these miscarriages happening. Um, and like I said, at the beginning of all of this, you know, it has been one of the most difficult experiences of my life. And, um, what I've learned through this process is that suffering from miscarriages is really a sort of like disenfranchised grief. You know, um, there's seems to be no spot for women are in our position grieving. Um, there is a really great group here in Charlotte called Kinder Morn, and they focus on people who have lost babies or lost pregnancies. But most of the women who go there have, you know, tragically lost a baby at like 38 weeks pregnant, a baby was born, stillborn, or someone lost, you know, two or three year old, which is horrific. It's horrifying. Um, but there, there weren't any women and there wasn't like a specific group for women who had lost pregnancies, like early, early pregnancies. And it makes, it made me feel at least like there wasn't a place for me. And so I wanted to do this podcast, you know, to, for people to realize that there is a spot for you. You're not like the only one going through this, what you're going through is normal and what you're feeling is normal. Um, and yeah, um, I, I guess that's it. <laughs>
I'm so happy that you guys have a game plan. Game plans yeah. are <laughs> like in like the hope department or um my gosh. Really everything. Yeah. Well, especially for someone like me, I'm so type A. I need to have everything planned out. So kind of like free floating and not having a game plan just yeah. added to like everything else that I was going through. So yes, we have a game plan. It means two surgeries in one year, but I'm okay with that if it means the possibility of some answers and maybe a healthy pregnancy in 2020. Yeah. I agree. I feel like it'll take some of that fear away too. I just feel like having something else to try. Yeah, exactly. You know, that fear is always going to be there, obviously, but it does help a little bit. Yeah, um, definitely. After the second miscarriage, I told my husband, like, I'm never getting pregnant again. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going through this again. This is not happening. But having like maybe an answer makes it definitely a little bit easier. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story, especially yeah, with it being so fresh and so new and you're just like totally in the middle of it currently. Yeah. And I appreciate you jumping on and sharing in the moment. Uh, yeah, of course. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? So I think the one piece of advice would be that it's okay to not be okay it's also okay to be okay. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things I really struggled with this whole time was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I still like suffering so much? Why am I this depressed? Why can't I go back to work? Why am I still feeling this way? But it's, it's okay to feel that way and it's normal. And for anybody listening that's feeling that way and is, you know, down and wondering like when it'll get better, know that you're not alone. And if you want, you can find me on Instagram and add me and we can talk about it. And it's great. And if you're listening and you're having, you know, happy days and happy moments, that's okay too. You know, I've definitely had times during this process where I have found joy and happiness and there, there's no reason to feel bad about that or feel guilty about that you know, whatever your process is, wherever you are in your process of grieving, it's okay. And it's normal and you're doing great. <laughs> yes. I love that you mentioned that it's okay to be okay as well, because that is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. Like yeah. those happy days, we're kind of like, what the heck, why am I, you know, like, yeah, you kind exactly. of feel like guilt for feeling good and for happy. Sure. And it's just a weird roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird, weird roller coaster, but <laughs> I'm glad that we have like this space where we can talk about it and, you know, make it a little bit more normal, you know, to yeah. talk about. So. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you. If somebody wants to reach out, uh, is Instagram the best way? I think you mentioned Instagram, yes. right? Yes, definitely. Okay. Cool. So you guys reach out. That's what this community is all about. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for sharing your story and keep yeah, me posted. Good luck. Thank it's you new, so much. New Year's Eve, right? Is your yeah. you said? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Crazy way to ring in the New Year's, right? <laughs> uh, well, best of luck. Keep me posted. And we'll Thank you so you. much. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.